0: On today's show, an emergency reaction to the Hawks extending Wagner McDonavich for four years and $68 million. We'll get into all the details, the fallout, and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1432 of the on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening. And this is an emergency podcast. In fact, I was not planning to record on this particular Thursday, the opening day of the NCAA tournament. I did an extensive mailbag podcast on Wednesday evening with some Hawks questions, some NCAA tournament questions, NBA draft questions, etc. And by the way, that show is still very relevant. And I would encourage you to listen to it at the top of the podcast and also make us your first listen each and every day by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or all three, perhaps. But the big news of the day happened on Thursday afternoon, about 3 p.m. Eastern time. The word broke from Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN that the Hawks were going to be extending Bogdanovich for four years and 68 million dollars. Crucially, we do not have the structure for that contract at this point in time. That does have a real impact, which I'll probably be saying multiple times. And maybe by the time we listen to this podcast, we'll know. But it's been you know four hours, and no one has reported, and i would not able to just sort of garner the full structure of the deal just yet. Especially if there is like a team option at the end or non guarantees or whatever. But that was the headliner, of course. And then the team announced at about six thirty p.m. That the uh, deal was actually done. The team never le- releases those details officially, but there was a quote in the release from Landry Fields, the GM of the Hawks, and he says the following Bogey brings so many of the qualities that we're looking for in a Hawks player. In addition to his elite shooting ability, his versatility to thrive as a starter or sixth man, and a competitiveness that is invaluable to our team and culture, we are excited that he will, will remain a key part of our team going forward. End quote. So if you listen to that show on Wednesday, uh, you will know that I actually answered about a question and a half about Bogey and a player option decision that he has. Um, obviously no longer has it. In fact, uh, that, a lot of that analysis is still very relevant at this point in time, but Bogey is just for some background here. Bogey's 31 in August. He's 30 right now, 31 in August. And I do think that if he was healthy at the end of the, at the, end of the season, he would have been able to get the, this kind of offer from somebody else. And I was expecting him though it wasn't like done at this point to be opting out. If he was healthy. Again, that's a very crucial point. If he was healthy at the end of the season, Bogey seems to like Atlanta, of course, and I'm sure the extra security does not hurt in terms of locking this in now and avoiding those injury-related questions on the the player side, and that is, of course, the team taking on the risk and the player giving off the risk at this point. But with this deal, Bogey will have locked in $122 million from the Hawks over seven seasons. So that's pretty good money if you can get it, obviously, life-changing money for basically anyone. So um, as far as the structure is concerned, and we'll get get into more of an analysis uh, later on in this emergency quick podcast. Um, bogey has to decline the player option in order to sign this extension so basically he opts out and that means the first year of the salary which is next year 2023-24 has to be at least what the option year would have paid him what which means it has to be at least 18 million dollars in year one so if you do the math on that the whole deal is four years 68 million that's 17 million a year on average but it has to start at at least 18 million dollars so basically it has to go down from there on some level this is not technically what happened, but because Bogey had that player option for 18 million, what you can think about this is, as far as analysis is concerned, is 50 million dollars in new money over the last three years of the deal. Because, in short, the Hawks could not influence the decision. They already paid Bogey. That's a previous deal. Uh, the player option was only his decision. So the Hawks had were kind of at his, at his mercy with that deal. But again, because it has to be at least 18 million dollars in year one, the deal has to be going down at some point. Um, for some background, I talked about this a little bit on the show yesterday. $18 million is projected to be about 13% of the cap for next season. Now, that is a lot more than it was when he signed the deal, the first deal or the first time around. In fact, the uh, his percentage of the cap was well over 16% of the cap in that first year when he signed that flat 4 years $18 million a year deal when he came over from the from the Kings. So, it's only going to go lower and lower in terms of cap percentage and how much he is being paid against the uh, against the cap. We don't have the structure just yet, obviously, but if you wanted to go with, let's just say a full declining structure, the Hawks could do this if they wanted to. I would probably try to if I was them. It could start at $19.3 million in the first year and go down the maximum decline and be down to $14.7 million in year four. And by the way, that would be less than 10% of the cap in year four, which, which is basically like a seventh man, eighth man kind of contract at that point in the calendar. It could be even flatter than that. The Hawks could go with you know eighteen million dollars and ha- have only slight declines to- in order to build that out and have it be more like you know eighteen than seventeen point two five then sixteen point five and so on. But they could make it as wide of a range as nineteen point three down to fourteen point seven at the end of the deal. But again, it has to be at least eighteen million in that first year. Uh, lots of questions on all of this as far as his trade value and the and the Hawks' salary structure and parallels with Kevin Herter and roster construction and then my overall thoughts. Before we get into all of that, though, and there is plenty to get to on this quick emergency podcast, It we from our sponsors on the show today. I'm very excited about our new partner and sponsor on today's episode, and that is the mobile game Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. If you've been dreaming about being a GM in the NBA or managing a basketball team in general, your franchise dream can become true, and that's, this game is definitely for you. You can manage your aspects of the team through playing the season or leading your team to glory through the ultimate pro basketball gm app you're responsible for hiring the coaches and training the players and making draft picks and generally navigating the franchise through stuff like free agency and all the fun challenges throughout a season this all happens in a realistic game world and ultimate pro basketball gm is completely free and it's playable offline you can play on the go whenever you want to as much as you want to and we're already having a lot of fun behind the scenes talking trash to our fellow locked on podcast hosts about all of our teams and franchises it's an awesome way to connect with friends who are also that hard basketball fans and since you're listening to this podcast at locked on hawks you could also Get a hundred percent free boost to the franchise when you use the promo code locked on in the game store. To download the game, visit probasketballgm.com or scan the code or look up, up in the app store as well. That is probasketballgm.com. And when you get there, use promo code locked on. Ultimate Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. Today's show is also brought to you by FanDuel. It's the best time of the year in college basketball. Stretch Red is also here in the NBA, of course, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers, guys, no sweat. First bet up to $1,000 at FanDuel. It means bonus bets coming back to you. If your first bet doesn't win with FanDuel, download the app right now, the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Of course, it's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet anything across the board that you're looking for. Point spreads, totals, money lines, player props, futures, and more. The Hawks are off until Friday when they return to action against the Warriors, but there's still wall-to-wall coverage in college basketball and WBC and the baseball world, the rest of the NBA, et cetera. And FanDuel also has exclusive bets across the board, and they'll actually have uh, the single game parlays, which you combine bets together for a bigger payout. Those are a lot of fun as well. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you get to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official support partner of the NBA. All right, so this is not really going to be a mailbag, but it's sort of a lot of questions and answers that I got on Twitter in the aftermath of this furious uh, scramble because, look, no one expected this today. Um, this is one of the options. I did talk about this on, on the show on Wednesday, but the Hawks could you know, sign him for longer than just next year if you wanted to opt out. Um, he's been extension eligible the entire season. I, I, I actually listened to a podcast that I did earlier just to make sure that I did say this. This is a few months ago now, but I, I at least mentioned that you know he's, he was extension eligible. This is, this is definitely possible. It was not on my radar today. I will definitely admit that. But anyway, this furious scramble for information and questions and um, people kind of panicking on some level and all that stuff. But um, one question that I got is kind of, will this help his trade value? Um, he can't be traded for six months. That's important to note. Now, famously, when the Hawks extended Clint Capella, they did it at a time when he actually couldn't be traded during a season until after the deadline. So basically, it took him off the market for like, for like a year. This time around with Bogey, I'm not saying they want to do this, but if they wanted to trade him in September, they could. Today is March 16th. That means he can be traded six months from today. It's been announced. Um, so mid, mid-September, mid he could be traded and would be traded eligible with no restrictions at that point in time. Again, if he's healthy, I think this is a deal that he could have gotten elsewhere. So it could allow the Hawks to actually get some extra value for him if they wanted to move on from him in the next year or two. The Hawks did kind of a similar thing with, with Capella, actually. It was kind of a, a surprise extension out of nowhere. And the length of the deal was really the question there versus whether he's actually worth it in the first season, because Bogey, while he has some questions at this point in time, when he's good, he's worth it. If he's not, then obviously it's more shaky and there's lots more injury concerns with Bogey than there were with Clint at that point in time. But crucially, he could have walked away for nothing this summer. Now you could argue that wouldn't have been the worst thing for the Hawks with their money stuff, with his potential decline on defense with the, with the rise of AJ Griffin, et cetera. But part of the calculus on any, any NBA team is not losing assets for nothing. If the Hawks feel that a year from now or a year and a half from now, or six months from now, they can trade bogey for positive value. That would be better than letting him go for nothing. So that's not the only calculus, but it is part of the decision-making and at least want to keep that in mind along the way, as far as the salary structure is concerned. Now, we don't know, again, again, what this is going to be like. We, we do know the range enough to where I have to know, um, you know, basically the nuts and bolts of this thing. I thought about this a little bit yesterday as well, but having Bogey locked in now, and he is locked in for next year, puts the Hawks over the tax line with 10 players on the contract, sorry, under contract at this point in time. Now, I said this on the show yesterday as well, but uh, my thoughts on the tax this year, the current 2022-2023 season were very clear and I was correct about that. The Hawks were never paying the tax this year. I yelled about that for six months or longer and that was the case. I do not have that same vigor for next year nor did I even before this. I said this in fact yesterday before the deal was actually done that I thought the Hawks could pay the tax next year. I still am in believe it when I see it mode about that but the Hawks have made a lot of money committed for next year and beyond. 10 guys projected to make about $163, $163 million for next year, depending on where, where Bogey's number actually is. And the, and the tax line is essentially just right under that number. Now, those 10 players are their 10 best players, which is certainly helpful to have your 10 best guys be the guys that you're actually committed to pay for next year. But at the same time, the Hawks are what they are this year, the 500, but basically for the, for, the, for, the whole, for the whole season. So there's a real chance that they could trade capella or they could trade collins or even bogdanovich or more than one of those guys before october to cut salary to get under the tax they wanted to but they still have to fill out a whole roster of 14 guys so 10 players they're close to the tax line even though they're over now but you have to factor in there's four more players on the roster even if you were to sign rookie minimums you'd still be six million over seven million over and the draft pick the hawks have for this year their first round pick on their own pick this year is going to be more than that so anyway i will save my full-on deep dive and the money stuff until much later but the way for the Hawks to be under the tax without making drastic moves would have been for Bogey to leave. Now, if they want to get under, and I don't know, I don't know if they do, but if they wanted to, it's going to require trading a key piece, whether it's Bogey, whether it's Collins, whether it's Capella, and that's that all, that. all could happen for non-money reasons, or money reasons, or whatever. But uh, that's definitely going to be interesting moving forward because this definitely signals that the Hawks are even spending even more money. And look at points in the last. You know, six eight months they have been nearing over the tax. Like before, if they had just done the Murray trade and not traded Herder, they would have been over. If they had just done the Sadiq Bay acquisition and did and did not trade Justin Holiday, they would have been over. But obviously, the Hawks intentionally, no matter what wrestler says, wanted to get under the tax this year. Next year, we'll see. And they have a lot of money committed. Next kind of question or framing is uh, the parallels to Kevin Herder. So, a lot of people asked about this, probably more than any other thing in part because the Hawks clearly ducked the tax this last year. And effectively um, it seems like if you're on the outside, I want to make this very simple, you know, quote unquote chose bogey over Herder, and Kevin Herder is on a four year deal for $65 million. So Herder is on a cheaper deal than bogey. Uh, Herder is a better player than bogey at this point. He's also younger and if anything going up where, where bogey is coming down. So that optically does not look good for the Hawks. Granted, it's not quite as easy as that. Now, I piled on the Hawks for that trade. I didn't like it at all. I said that, I think, before most people did, that it was really not a good trade by the Hawks to send hurt to Sacramento for what they got back. But importantly, they really couldn't functionally trade Bogey, at least, at least for value, over the summer. He was hurt, just for the record, and as a reminder. Now, that's part of the problem here, if you want to be down on this contract, is that he was hurt, and he's been hurt the last two years, but he didn't play until December 2nd. And I think everyone in the league knew he was not going to be ready for the start of the season. So if you are going to try to trade that guy in July, you would not have gotten the return that they got for Herder. Now that return was not exactly going to blow you away, but they got a first round pick for Herder. Most of the time, will be a first round pick from the Kings. Um, anyway, so that's part of this. And also, the Hawks got that first round pick back, which I'm sure this was part of the calculus for that for doing that deal. I'm the first person to say though that in retrospect. Certainly, it would be better if the Hawks had Herder on his deal than Bogey on his deal. But um, it's more of an optical problem than an actual problem because the, the, the deals have been done, and obviously they couldn't keep looking back. You know, this this extension is independent of what happened with Herder at this point. You're, you're deciding again to commit to Bogey. But as far as like the reactions and like a lot of people just re- replying to what I tweeted or what others have tweeted about, you know, what about Herder? Why, did, why didn't they choose Herder? I don't blame you because that doesn't look great at all. Because Herder, again, better player. Cheaper contract, younger. That's a bad look for the Hawks, even if it wasn't quite as easy as that because Bogey was hurt and they got a pick back in the herder deal. As far as uh, the roster fallout from this, it's interesting because AJ Griffin in particular is a core piece moving forward. I've been told repeatedly that he is a core piece of this Hawks team. Now, he could be traded for a star, but I think they really like AJ. They've invested in him heavily and uh, having Bogey locked in to money assigned to a real rotation piece is interesting. While Bogey's money is not starter money anymore, um, at least... Firm starter money. I know he mentioned, it, even in the release, I thought it was interesting that Landry Fields mentioned sixth man because Bogey's come up out off the bench this year, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but the deal that he just signed is not a, like, we have to start you contract. The first deal Bogey signed was a starter contract. Four for 72 in that environment was a starter contract. This is like a seventh man contract, and that's fine, but it does take away, at least on paper for the short term, some time and some attention away from, in particular, A.J. Griffin. Now, Sadiq Bey is also concerned. concern. Uh, Bey, I think, would not be as much of a planning concern as I, as I would have about, about Griffin because he's more of a supplementary piece in my mind. But Bogey and Bay kind of overlap. Now, Bay is more of a 3-4, obviously, than Bogey is more of a 2-3. But they kind of have similar strengths and weaknesses at this point in time. They're both shooters first, defensive questions, um, athletic questions, moving their feet around the perimeter, etc. Those guys can't really play together. Bogey is best suited for a role moving forward that includes, like, not playing back-to-backs that much or, you know, having a smaller, like, 22, 24-minute-a-game role versus playing more like 30. Maybe, maybe some just rest periods to keep himself fresh. When he's fresh, he's pretty good. When he's not fresh, he's not very good recently. And with AJ, I think the Hawks need to be prioritizing him. He's obviously – I I didn't go as far as like some Hawks fans did, like anointing him a definite surefire star, but he has star upside, at least French star upside at the very least. And I think Griffin is a guy that is as young as he is, as good as he was when he was playing by rookie standards. There's a lot to like there. So it's not as if a bogey and Griffin wing pairing is great by any means, like defensively, that's going to be a real problem. And it could be a challenge to really play those guys together on the wings or even have Bogey play with Bay a lot on the wings or Griffin play with Bay a lot on the wings. So like having all three of those guys, I think AJ defensively could be better than he's been so far for sure. It might just be a guy that's like average versus like where Bogey and Bay are below average pretty solidly at this point in time. I think AJ can get better. But in the short term, those three guys being your three wing shooters, none of them being even average defenders right now is a problem when your backcourt is Trey Young and John Murray. So that's more of a future problem than a current problem in some respects, but that's a question mark. And I, I think a lot of the reactions, like why are they bringing bogey back with AJ Griffin ready to, ready to step forward. That does make sense. At the same time, the Hawks have always, and I mean, always been at their best in the last two and a half, three years when bogey is playing well and looking like himself. This is still a team that does not have a lot of shooting. So keep that in mind. Um, You know, I've, Bang this drum a lot this year. And it's it was definitely helped by the addition of Sadiq Bay at the deadline. But this is a team that does not have enough shooting. Now, AJ Griffin helps that in some respects. So does Bay. But with Bogey out early in the season, like it was very glaring. This is a this has been a bottom, let's be let's be charitable, a bottom 10 shooting team in the league this year. And that should that should just never happen with Trey Young as your point guard. So uh, having a shooter, and I think that was important that the Fields are probably intentional. The Fields mentioned that in his statement as well, that bogey shooting is valuable because it is. And he also, crucially, in a way that other guys don't always, he really hunts his shot when he's got it going. And I discussed this a lot on Wednesday show, but the Hawks don't really have a third ball handler, and bogey kind of is their third ball handler. Is that great? Probably not. But for right now, today, He's probably the guy, other than maybe Jalen Johnson, a little bit in transition that they would give the ball to without Trey or DeJounte on the floor to kind of run things, keep things moving. There is some value in that, even if it's not necessarily overwhelming value. So I've said a lot on this shorter podcast, but to wrap it up, um, from a pure dollars and cents standpoint in a vacuum, I want to stress, in a vacuum I think this deal is actually totally fine for Bogey because it's declining. He's still very useful. And I made this point a lot yesterday, just in a vacuum in general. But I think people have not quite figured out yet that 17 million a year, especially declining in the current cap environment, is not that much money. Again, four years ago when he signed that contract, that was a start, that was a starter contract. Now, 17 million now is like what 12 million used to be. And that's obviously pretty rough. That's a pretty rough estimate, but like 20 million now is 15 million. Etc. Like if you're making 24, 25 million a year, that's like starter money now versus where it used to be like fringe max money. It's a big gap there. And it's only going to keep going up, especially if there's an infusion, if they do the, the new TV deal and they kind of spike it all, it's going to look even better. But again, st- take a step back, go outside the Hawks um, structure. I think the deal for bogey at age 30 provided his knee holds up at all. This deal is fine. Now the problem is the injury history and the fact that he is a declining player. I think bogey is still very useful. I don't want to say anything other than that. But when you look at his physical ability to kind of hold up and move on defense and slide and just his juice with his legs, it's not the same as it was when they signed him three years ago. That's just the reality. Now I think a lot of that, maybe most of it, maybe almost all of it can be attributed to his knee issues. Um, But it's still reality. Like, his defense mag- his weaknesses there are magnified on this roster next to Trey next to Dejounte next to Bay next to Griffin like this is not a great structure for Bogey on defense he um, Snyder's been talking about overhelping in the last few weeks Bogey is a chronic overhelper that's one other thing like he's part of the problem defensively you could argue and I have at times this year that he's actually been their worst defender like on a team with Trey Young on it. I don't think that necessarily has to be the case moving forward, but there have been moments or stretches or weeks or maybe even more than that where Bogey has been their worst defender this year. That's how bad it's been. Now, in the past, I've argued that Bogey wasn't so bad because he wasn't. I think he actually has some strengths. He's like a physical guy. He executes fairly well, but he's a step slow now. And we'll see if that sort of changes at any point in the future. Maybe maybe as he's used less, that could be better, et cetera. Um, I think the Hawks, again, needs to prioritize Andrew Griffin in the future. So if there's a moment where they kind of have to have the changing of the guard there, they got to go ahead and do that, et cetera. Uh, you throw in the the Atlanta salary structure and it's a deal that I honestly, people kept asking me like, would you have done this? I don't think so. I I don't think it's terrible. I don't, but I don't think I would have done this structure just because of everything going on. I think again, the the reactions are a little bit too strong. I think most reactions that I've seen did not like this. And I totally get why I think a lot of that though, is the sticker shock of $17 million a year, which one more time is not as much money as you might think it is in the current structure, but because it's, that's more like a seventh or eighth man contract than a starter contract. But the Hawks still have a lot of money committed. This adds to that bill. The reality is now the Hawks are going to have to, if they want to get under under the tax, which they might not, we'll see. But if they want to do that, they have to shed some salary or finally go into the tax if they want to do that. And for a team that's 500 this year, you'd like to kind of be more invested in that um, success to get, kind of be spending even more because, like, if you're the, if you're if you're ownership why are you going to spend more on the same roster that you wouldn't spend more on this year? Now, if they make big changes, that's something different. But, um, you know, I think the three guys that everyone circled as potential cost cutting slash just reorganization trade candidates this year were bogey Collins and Capella. That might still be the case. They could still trade bogey in the next year. That wouldn't stun me, but um, it's kind of like the Capella deal where it's like, "Eh, I don't think I would have done this right now. And and for Clint, at least there was the reality that he was still a very, very, very good player. Bogey is not a, very, very good player anymore. He's still very solid. He's a rotation player, etc. But long story short, I would not have done this deal. Um, we'll see if there's any injury protections. We'll see if there's any non guarantees or a team option that might up the ante on how good the actual value is. And as I said before, in a vacuum, I think this deal is totally fine. And I think he actually would have gotten about this kind of deal from somewhere else this summer if he was healthy. But between now and then, he may not be healthy. Of course, the last two seasons he's been hurt at the end of the year, and just with this team structure. You could argue on one hand that they need a shooting and his playmaking. On the other hand, you could, you could argue that defensively it's kind of untenable. And I think that, you know, there's lots of stuff flying around. This is not like a deal that I'm getting an F minus. I think I, I dislike the Herder trade a lot more than I like, dislike this signing. But ultimately I would not have done it at least in the structure that I think it's going to be. If it's a lot more heavily team-friendly in some respects, then maybe I'll change that. That's kind of where I am right now. And uh, we'll see how he ages. We'll see how this contract ages. Um, I'm assuming it's going to have to be declining. That'll be helpful in the future. We'll see what the plans are. And I think uh, it's definitely important to always keep these moves in context because I'm guilty of this too. Like you can't just evaluate a move on its own. Um, Maybe the Hawks already have kind of their plan, quote-unquote, for the offseason. It's kind of hard to do that now. But if they're going to move on from Collins or move on from Capella, et cetera, and change the guard a little bit. But right now on the current roster, it's not really working all that well. And like you're kind of doubling down a little bit by paying boogie now. But anyway, that's a lot on this. Hopefully that made some level of sense. And uh, I am recording after a long day and I'm going to go back to college basketball coverage in the middle of this. So I was not prepared to talk about the NBA today. But here we are, and hopefully that was all coherent. We'll have more in the future. By the way, the Hawks are playing the Warriors on Friday evening. I did a little bit of a preview on that on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash btrolling as well. But um, importantly, Draymond Green is going to be suspended for that game against the Hawks on Friday. That definitely helps Atlanta. Also, Steph Curry is listed as questionable. So if Steph doesn't play, the Hawks will be a very big favorite. Even if Steph plays, I think the Hawks are going to be favored in that game without Draymond at home. The Warriors have been brutal, and I mean brutal. On the road this year, like one of the worst five teams in the league on the road, and the Hawks. Yeah, right now as we speak, FanDuel has the Hawks as a small favorite in that game. We'll see about Steph, but I'll have a new podcast after that game. But also, please subscribe to this show. It would make it would mean the world to me if you would click the subscribe button and the like button and share the podcast and auto download the podcast, rate, review all that fun stuff. Follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at @BTRoll. I do appreciate everybody listening to this emergency episode of the podcast, and we'll see you all after the game on Friday.